What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Republicans refuse to put any money for the wall in the budget, and a San Francisco judge rules against the Trump plan on sanctuary cities. Two big losses for the Donald. Hey, what do you say, everybody? On a Wednesday about it, Wednesday, April 26th. Here we go. It is the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. We are coming to you live, as always, from our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill, right down the street from the United States Congress, uh, where the president showed up yesterday for the Holocaust Memorial Service, and where members of Congress, just back from a two-week uh, vacation, they call it the two-week Easter recess, they're busy trying to keep the government open this week and dealing with Donald Trump's demands on health care and on tax reform. And today he unrolls, unveils his ideas about tax reform, uh, though nothing will happen. Uh, yet it is a great big windfall for big companies like the Trump empire. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Again, great to see you today. We've got a great lineup of guests, including Congressman Tim Ryan from uh, Ohio. We'll bring you all the news of the day uh, and with our guest, cover the news of the day. And with your comments, welcome at any time on Twitter, on Twitter, at BP Show. So we'll jump right into those big stories. Michael Flynn accused of breaking the law. Ivanka Trump booed in Berlin. Yep, Republicans tell Donald, no money for your damn wall. And a federal judge blocks the Trump move to crack down on sanctuary cities. All of that. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so we've talked about United Airlines and how they are uh, pretty terrible, right? Yeah. So the world's, or almost the world's largest rabbit, all right? His name was Simon. He was coming to the United States from Great Britain. And he was on track to become the world's largest rabbit. So he flew United to America. They put him in the hold where they put the animals. He left. Why was he coming here? And because I, I don't know. I, I, I got to find out. But the, 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 he was coming over here for whatever. A, a, a U.S. celebrity buyer paid more than 2,000 pounds to fly him from Heathrow to Chicago uh-huh. so that they could get a hold of this rabbit. So they put him in the storage where they put the, the animals. pets, the yeah. animals. Simon didn't make it. No. Simon died. They said that when they put him on the plane, he was totally healthy. Simon is a 10-month-old, three-foot-long continental giant rabbit. He was expected to grow to weigh, uh, to be a very, very heavy, heavy animal. 
I'll put it that way. Two stone, five pounds is how they put it because he came from England. So, so you're telling me the rabbit died at O'Hare? Oh. Is that right? <laughs> is that right? <laughs> no. Very good, Jamie. Okay, Jamie, yeah. he did die at O'Hare. You, yes, right. You were correct. I read yeah. that on Twitter, sorry. So once again, United is in a little bit of hot water. The owner is very upset about this whole thing. Uh, hey, Jamie, by the way, thank so you. So on uh, cross-country flights next week, they'll be serving rabbit stew. Oh, man. Oh. Hoss and pfeffer oh. on the board of United yeah. Airlines. Uh, thanks to Jamie because he follows all things NASCAR. He gave me the heads up yesterday. <laughs> Dale Earnhardt Jr. announced he is going to retire from the NASCAR Cup Series after this 2017 season. Four went out for Dale. Four went out for Dale. Yeah, little Dale, little Lee is, uh, is leaving stock car racing. He's going to leave. He's not going to you know, drag this into the ground, drive this into the ground and race until he's an old man. He's still a relatively young guy. A lot of people have pointed out that this is going to be a big problem for NASCAR because he really is one of their only stars right now. Uh, but he's going to leave after this season. So it's a big loss for, for NASCAR. You don't even care a I little could bit. Care do you, less do you even know who Dale Earnhardt Jr. is? I do. Is? Yeah, I okay. Do. All right. Yeah. And uh, very quickly, Barack Obama is going to be cashing in on his post-presidency. He's going to be giving a speech to the tune of $400,000. It's going to be at a Wall Street conference run by Kendra Fitzgerald. Perfect. Didn't somebody else learn that giving Wall Street speeches... On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Great to see you. Uh, It is uh, Wednesday, April 26th. Yep, indeed. Uh, Welcome to The Bill Press Show on this beautiful Wednesday as we tackle the big stories of the day. Tell you what's going on and uh, look forward to hearing your comments about what you think about it all. Great lineup of uh, guests today. Tim Mack from the Daily Beast will be here. He's been writing some good stuff about the Senate Intelligence Committee's lack of action on the Russian connection. National political reporter for Politico, Gabe DiBenedetti, has been looking at the Democrats and what the Democrats have to do to bounce back and what role Bernie Sanders should play in that. And then a Congressman Tim Ryan, uh, one of the rising stars of the uh, Democratic Party, Rumored to be uh, a candidate for governor in Ohio next time around. In the meantime, stirring up a lot of stuff here in the United States Congress will be joining us as well. And uh, with that great lineup, uh, we welcome you to the program on the Young Turks Network in every platform imaginable on YouTube at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Don't forget to sign up. So many of you already have, but I know a lot of you are there without having officially signed up. We want you to do so so you can benefit from all the little burbs we send out during the day. Also, looking at you on Free Speech TV, of course, uh, part of the Young Turks, I mean, uh, the Direct TV, and on WCPT out in Chicago and all the Chicago suburbs, we are there with you as well. And don't forget our podcast, our podcast out there every day. And you go, Peter, to iTunes. If you have iTunes, you use an Apple product, you can get it on iTunes. If you don't, just go to BillPressShow.com. We put the podcast up there every single day. And by the way, uh, our, our numbers are fantastic. Thank you, everybody, who has gone to download yeah, it's it. it's exciting. Yeah. Tell some friends about it. 
and uh, the, the good thing about this is you can take it with you anywhere you are, right? So once you download it, you can take it on an airplane, you can take it to the gym, you can do whatever you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just download it onto your phone. So go right. check that out in the iTunes store or at BillPressShow.com. All right. So where do we start today? Let's start with old Michael Flynn. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, you know, with the missile attack on Syria and all the saber rattling on North Korea and sending the aircraft carrier uh, 35 miles away in the wrong direction, uh, and all the talk about the wall. We haven't heard much about the Russian connection lately. The White House was kind of hoping it would go away. Not. No, it came back with a vengeance yesterday. Donald Trump, who denies, of course, any connection at all, that nobody around him had any connections at all with the Russians. That all blew up, of course, when... uh, the um, NSA was listening in on the telephone calls at Michael Flynn, uh, then a special advisor consultant to candidate Donald Trump uh, and president-elect Donald Trump, that Michael Flynn was having these conversations, remember, with the Russian ambassador where they talked about sanctions and then Michael Flynn lied to the vice president about it. And um, for that, he lost his job. He was only in there 24 days. Clearly, uh, the uh, Trump White House had not done a very good job of vetting Michael Flynn. Uh, Donald Trump liked him, liked what he said, liked the fact that he led the chance, lock her up, lock her up at the Republican convention. So Trump just gave him the job. Uh, and then it blew up in his face. Turns out that Michael Flynn's problems are not over. Yesterday... And these are two people that you seldom would see in the same room together. Jason Chaffetz, the Republican chair of the House Oversight Committee, and Elijah Cummings, our great friend from Baltimore, the ranking Democrat on that committee, actually held a joint news conference yesterday to say that Michael Flynn broke the law. He went to Moscow again as a Trump senior advisor during the transition gave a big speech in Moscow, got paid for it as a former general. He is first required to get permission. He is secondly, he's not allowed to do that period to take money from a foreign government, but he did, and then he didn't report it. Jason Chaffetz, he broke the law. It appears as if he did take that money. It was inappropriate, uh, and there are repercussions for the violation of law. Uh, Chaffetz saying this is just, it's, it's clear, clear. Black or white, you can't do this. As a former military officer, you simply cannot take money from Russia, Turkey, or anybody else. But he did, and as Elijah Cummings says, he didn't get permission ahead of time either. There's also no evidence that he sought permission to obtain these funds from a foreign source. Uh, This is a major problem. So uh, what's the role of the White House? Uh, The committee is asking for all the documentation uh, behind this. And Sean Spicer, they they were so quick to throw Michael Flynn under the bus yesterday. Say, Michael who? Yeah. Yeah, we we never heard of this guy. And certainly it's not up to us to release those documents. Sean Spicer at the briefing. The committee sent a form letter to several agencies, including the White House, asking to find those documents. The documents in question, uh, the Department of Defense possessed and sent over to him. Uh, the documents that occurred before he worked here would be up to him to turn over. Up, up to Flynn. Yeah, up to Flynn. Yeah, it's up to him to turn him over. Uh, and um, Sean Spicer continues by saying, 
you know, before he became actually a government employee, we don't have any any records at all. They asked for documents prior to January 20th, as you know through the Constitution. Uh, we didn't assume uh, the White House until January 20th at noon, so we don't have the documents prior to assuming the White House. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Elijah Cummings again comes back. He was on MSNBC after Sean Spicer's uh, press briefing uh, yesterday and says, baloney. I listened to Mr. Spicer today uh, talk about <laughs> claiming that they don't have documents. I was very upset just listening to that um, because they do have documents. As a matter of fact, they have told us that they have documents, but they found every excuse under the sun not to produce the documents. Yeah, yeah. you bet. Of course that's, they do. That's e- of course they do. Exactly. What are you talking about here? Exactly what they were doing. So the White House may try to distance himself from Flynn, but, yeah, they can't get away with it. Flynn was Trump's guy. He was Trump's guy here, all around the country during the campaign, and he was Trump's guy in Moscow. And uh, um, Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, yeah, you got it, right. Uh, and, of course, they did no vetting before they appointed him. And Flynn, I mean, how can they give this guy, guy the job of national security advisor? He claims he was, um, well, put it this way. He, he clearly was so dumb that he made those phone calls to the Russian ambassador without knowing that his phones would have been tapped if he's talking to a top Russian here in the United States. This is the guy who is head of the Defense Intelligence Agency. So he was a top def- intelligence official and reportedly didn't realize his phone calls to the ambassador would be tapped. And now he didn't realize that a speech, <laughs> is he that dumb that he can go to Moscow and give a speech paid for by the Kremlin and not report it, and nobody would find out about it? <laughs> How many spies does he think there are in Russia? I mean, come on. This, I mean, what a dumbass to get for, to, to, for, on both of those reasons. He should never have been appointed uh, in the first place. But it, 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 he is Trump's guy, and this does prove beyond a doubt that at least in this one case, there was a clear Trump-Russian connection. His name is Michael Flynn. And believe me, he will not be the last one. In fact, we already know about several others, Jared Kushner and um, Paul Manafort and Carter Page yeah, keep, uh, and Jeff Sessions. Long and, list. Yeah, it's a, it's a long list. Uh, so Michael Flynn, by the way, uh, Michael Flynn's uh, could face up to five years in prison if charges are filed and if he is found guilty. In fact of giving the speech, taking the money, uh, and not reporting it. Not a good day for Donald Trump. Not a good day on the sanctuary city front either when a judge in uh, San Francisco came out and said uh, in the the, uh, Ninth Circuit that what the Trump administration has threatened to do, which is to withhold funding, as we've talked about many times, again yesterday, from sanctuary cities. This is Jeff Sessions' big crusade. Uh, we're going to hold federal money, withhold federal money from all, uh, all sanctuary cities unless they agree with our policy of just deport, deporting anybody who's committed any violation of the law whatsoever, from running a stop sign to 
not having your left hand turn blinker on to rape or murder. Um, and uh, the judge said yesterday, no, uh, the president exceeded his authority. In fact, the judge said he doesn't have the authority to do that in the first place. Only Congress can so rule. Uh, and so, therefore, he has put a nationwide hold on any efforts of Jeff- Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. Uh, to crack down on sanctuary cities. Uh, it was a lawsuit brought by, against the Trump plan by the city of San Francisco and by the county of Santa Clara County, which is where San Jose is, just south of San Francisco. Cindy Chavez is the attorney for Santa Uh, the county council for Santa Clara County. Every single jurisdiction in the nation benefits from this day. Every person who relies on public services benefits from this day. Uh, And she says what we're doing is ultimately protecting the Constitution of the United States. We're protecting jurisdictions across the country um, from being bullied by the Trump administration. But second, we're really protecting the rights of every jurisdiction, not only to protect their citizens, but also to protect the Constitution. Right. Uh, And the city attorney for San Francisco, Dennis Herrera, a good guy, saying this is the Trump, Donald Trump selling fear and it doesn't work. The president is selling fear. He is trying to paint all immigrants as criminals and nothing could be further from the truth. Indeed. Big blow for Donald Trump. This is really, really huge. It's significant. Uh, Donald Trump's been tweeting about it all morning, saying, here we go again, the Ninth Circuit that's always overturned. Now they did it. We'll see you in the court. But remember, these are the two big planks of Donald Trump's immigration policy, right? Uh, Actually, there's the third one we'll get to next, which is to build the wall. But these two, the Muslim ban and the crackdown on sanctuary cities, Two big parts of his immigration policy, both of them shot down as unconstitutional by the courts, which shows you, first of all, how little thought goes into the White House in throwing this stuff out there. You know, Donald Trump says this during the campaign. He's in the White House and they just think, oh, it's as easy as being a candidate and just saying something wild ass and stupid uh, and getting away with it. You can't do that while you're president of the United States. So how little that the, the, the homework they do at the White House. And it also shows the importance of the courts. When we talk about the resistance, ultimately, the resistance is going to win in the courts, in the streets and in the courts. You know? Yeah. I mean, you, people are, are, are sort of trying to figure out how they're going to fight Trump, how they're going to resist the Trump administration, right? And the protests are great, and it clearly gets the message out, but the place where the right side is going to win, it's in the courts. Yeah, absolutely. It's in the courts. Yep. And we, it's, you know, we've talked about this. We talked about this with Faz uh, from the ACLU, right? Like, they know that the law is on their side, right? And Donald Trump can't just bully his agenda through when it's not constitutional, there's something about the courts which is very refreshing. What is the coin of the realm in the judicial system? It's the truth. And Man. this is an area. When you get into the arena of the truth, Donald Trump loses because he is all about the big lie. He is all about the big claims and the exaggerations. 
And he's all about just not telling the truth. And when you get into the court, that it works on Fox and Friends in the morning. It doesn't work in a court of law. That's what he has run up against with the Muslim ban and with now the sanctuary cities. This, of course, will be appealed. Um, and eventually, and Donald Trump again the, tweeting out this morning, we'll see you in the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah, good. Let's get to keep the on, Supreme let's Court. Let's keep on going. Yeah, sooner let's the better. Let's keep it going. Get to the Supreme Court, and then we'll lose there, and then we'll see uh, what he has to say. So, of course, the third plank of his uh, anti-immigration uh, status, his war on immigrants, is the building the wall. So... This this ties into the whole 100 day nonsense, but uh, the, the big the biggest obstacle hurdle challenge facing the Congress this week, of course, is the government runs out of money on Friday. Okay, two days to go. <laughs> by the way, they don't seem to be doing a hell of a lot about it. But at any rate, we're used to this brinksmanship by now. Every every time this deadline comes up, it's always the 11th plus hour when they finally do something. So the government runs out of money on Friday, and Everybody understands that, and nobody wants to government shutdown. You know, Newt Gingrich did it and lost his ass, and John Boehner did it and lost his ass, right? So nobody wants to do that. If Paul Ryan doesn't want it. Mitch McConnell doesn't want it. Mm, Donald Trump, we're not so sure. But at any rate, <laughs> in the Congress, Democrats and Republicans want to avoid this. Democrats certainly do, uh, even though it would be worse for Republicans than for Democrats. So they were all working along and coming up with a plan to keep the government running for another three, four, five months, whatever. And then suddenly Donald Trump says, uh, uh, by the way, um, I want some money for the wall in that little agreement. Uh, I want $2 billion uh, to build my wall. And suddenly all the negotiations go to hell in a handbasket because not just Democrats aren't gonna, don't want to pay that price for the wall. Remember, Mexico was supposed to pay for it. Uh but there are a lot of Republicans don't who don't either. The Republicans on the border states, right on the front lines, where the wall would be built, don't want the wall because they know that all that most of that property is private property, even a big Indian reservation, and they'd have to steal land using eminent domain from property owners. It would be hugely unpopular. So uh, members of Congress just started raising hell about that, and yesterday. They officially told Donald Trump there ain't going to be any money in that wall for for the wall in this budget agreement. Now, Sean Spicer, again, down at the White House, denial, denial, denial. Spicer at the briefing says, nope, this doesn't represent any change in policy at all. We've made our priorities very clear as we continue uh, to negotiate, and I think nothing has changed on the president's priorities. Uh, and then the uh, Donald Trump he was signing an executive order, a BS executive order, by the way, does nothing uh, on agriculture with the new secretary of agriculture sitting by his side, Sonny Perdue. And uh, Donald Trump, in response to a reporter's question uh, about the wall, insists no change. The wall's going to get built, and the wall is going to stop drugs, and it's going to stop a lot of people from coming in that shouldn't be here, and it's going to have a huge effect on human trafficking, which is a tremendous problem in this world, a problem that nobody talks about. I, he's just making it he, up. Like, Total making it up. Yeah. Uh, and then he human said, 
Yeah. If, 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 like, if all of a sudden he's grown a heart about something like human trafficking, which is, like, look, an issue, okay? But, like, he, this is not why he wants to build the wall. Uh, by the way, he did say uh, that human trafficking is today more serious than it has ever been in the history of humankind. Ali Velshi on MSNBC came right out of that new, uh, that little comment, that little, uh, uh, you know, thing from the Oval Office, and said, "Well, I guess human trafficking is worse than it's ever been, unless you talk about the uh, slave, slave, the slavery yeah. traffic, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. back in the 1800s right. or the 1700s. I mean, th- th- just he makes these flat-out statements that are just again." Wrong, wrong, wrong. By the way, yesterday, Mexico's foreign minister said that uh, Mexico considers the construction of a border wall, quote, a hostile act, end quote, and they will not contribute in any way. Uh, now, notice the one thing. So Donald Trump in that little exchange with reporters, he so he, we just heard him, right? Yeah, the wall's going to get built. The wall's going to get built. He said the wall's going to get built in his first term, in fact. And he also said they're already starting to think about it. Uh, let me tell you something. The one thing he did not say, I hope you noticed, I did. He did not say Mexico's going to pay for it. He has dropped that. Totally dropped it. And so far we have seen for this wall no plan, no route, right? They haven't said it's exactly where the wall is going to be built, right? So there's no plan. There's no design for the wall. There's no... um permission by the property owners yet to build the wall. Um, basically, you know, I, I, I've, here's what I've come to the conclusion. Why, listening to him yesterday, let me tell you, Mark, save the tape. This wall will never be built. This wall will never be built because Mexico will never pay for it. And this Congress, as crazy as it is, is not dumb enough to pay for that wall. And the American people will never support paying for it. I'm I watch you. these shows and the pundits in the morning. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, here's a pundit in the morning that does know what he's talking about. This wall is not going to be built. He'll uh, continue to talk about it. I don't think you're wrong. I really don't think you're wrong. It, we, it, and I think that we come down to a similar issue that we had with health care, which, as you pointed out earlier, you're going to have the gung-ho Republicans who will, like, insist that no matter what the cost is, we got to build this stupid wall. Yeah. And then we're going to have these border state Republicans and more moderate Republicans who can't go back and face their constituents and say, yeah, um, we're going to take away your health care. We want to take away your health care, but we also have, you know, $20 billion to build this wall. The Republicans are going to be the ones to sink, to, to sink this, yeah. I think. Yeah. Because- Not Democrats. No, because they know it's they know it's bad for them. So this whole, but the whole, as I as I indicated coming into this discussion about the wall, this whole, um, you know, back and forth with the white between the Congress and the White House is part of the con- dysfunction of government that is so apparent when you look at what has been achieved in the first one hundred days of the Trump administration. Now, as we said yesterday, you know, on the one hand, Donald Trump said, this is silly. This is a silly rule. We should have dropped this a long time ago, this first 100 days. Boy, I agree 100%. But the problem is the person who will not drop the 100-day crowing about everything he's accomplished is Donald Trump. 
The White House yesterday put out, it's unbelievable. I, I wish you could find it somewhere. You could probably go online to thewhitehouse.gov and they'll have it there. This long, 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 long list of everything the president has accomplished in the first 100 days. And it is all empty air. If you look at, for example, the the big, the top big five, okay, let's, let's remember in the first 100 days, five, big five, repeal Obamacare, build the wall, Stop all Muslims from coming in this country. Deliver on tax reform. And remember, a billion dollars in infrastructure. That's the big five, right? Nothing has happened on any one of them. So just start right there. This is total dysfunction. And here's what's surprising, if you will, or stunning about this dysfunction, is this is not, we're used to dysfunction in Washington. But usually it's because the Democrats and the Republicans can't get their act together. No. The Republicans control it all right now. They got the whole enchilada. They got the House. They got the Senate. And they got the White House. And they still can't get anything done. So this is Republican versus Republican. Yeah. It's important to remember yeah. for all of the obstruction yeah. of Demo- yeah. that the, 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 the accusing Democrats are doing. That's what's new. And, you know, I thought that uh, what surprises me because there is a big difference the way Donald Trump operates and these members of Congress operate, for sure. They're different animals, as I said yesterday on MSNBC. But you would think that they'd give Donald Trump a little honeymoon, right? <laughs> this this Republican, the wheels have come off this Republican wagon a lot earlier than any of us thought they would. Right from the get-go, first 100 days, they're not helping Donald Trump with his agenda because they don't believe it, they don't believe in him, they don't buy it. So the top five... Aren't happening. It's a loser. His agenda is a loser. Totally, and the and Trump is also learning a lot as president. He in a call day before yesterday with our leading astronaut Peggy Whiston, who has been up there now, set a record for how long an American has landed has spent in space as far on the space station, and she doesn't come home till September. Uh, she was telling the president about uh, um, life in space and some of the things that they have to put up with, which um, down here on Earth we may find um, not so acceptable. Here, here she is with, in her phone conversation with uh, President Trump. Water is such a uh, precious resource up here that we also uh, are cleaning up our urine and making it drinkable, and it's really not as bad as it sounds. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Better you than me. <laughs> well, I have to agree with him on that one. <laughs> I mean, I know you do, but we also know that Donald Trump has maybe a... Well, oh, well, that's according to one tape that we haven't heard yet. No. Yeah. Reportedly. Just saying. Reportedly. Just saying. <laughs> Oh, I'm not saying he's man. a pee hog, but you know, he, there are allegations out there, rumors. There are. Some yeah. people say. Let me just say, I have more respect for our astronauts now for what they this, what they have to put up with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One more reason why I am not signing up for Mars. <laughs> <laughs> That's the final straw. That's it. <laughs> Donald Trump, by the way, who thinks that people will be landing on Mars before he is out of the White House.
You mean by next week? <laughs> <laughs> Here's hoping. All right. Hey, we told you we had a great lineup today. We start off with Tim Mack from the Daily Beast uh, taking a long look this week at the Senate Intelligence Committee and not finding much to talk about. He'll be joining us right after this quick break. I watch these shows and the pundits in the morning. They don't know what they're talking about. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right, on a Wednesday, Wednesday, April 26. Here we go. It is The Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us. Good to do it, uh, and good to have you part of the uh, program. Don't forget, you really jump in by uh, on Twitter giving us your comments on the news of the day at BP Show. And we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Zero in on Capitol Hill, and that's where you'll find us. And we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Yes, the good men and women of those our firefighting departments on the front lines every day protecting American families under the leadership of President Harold Schaidberger. Uh, we count on them, and we salute them and thank them for their support of the uh, program well, uh, Michael Flynn, a little news yesterday, uh, reminded us that there is still something called the Russian connection, and there is still are still supposedly three different investigations of the Russian connection going on right now. Um, how much can we count on their um, finding anything? Tim Mack's been looking into this for the Daily Beast. Hello, Tim. How are you? Hey, good morning. Everything good? Everything good with the Russian investigation or just with me? With you. <laughs> oh, well, I'm doing better than the Russian investigation. Oh, okay, yeah. So let's first start about Michael Flynn. What did we learn yesterday? Not good news for Michael Flynn, huh? Not good news for Michael Flynn. So if you'll recall, Michael Flynn went to Moscow in December of 2015. Yep. And he sat down with uh, Vladimir Putin at this At the time, at a top advisor to President-elect Donald Trump. He wasn't president yet. At at, at that I time, it was president just a, elect. it was just a nightmare in the making. Uh, <laughs> I, I know. No, no. This was December uh, 2015. Fifth, this was okay. This was this so was well was before. Ad, this was just sorry. But this he was, was an before advise, Iowa. This advisor, was before New Hampshire. He was an advisor to candidate Donald Trump. Uh, I'm I'm trying to figure out if he had formally become an advisor at that okay. point. Um, but he um. Uh, he he certainly was in the mix. Yes, uh, there were a lot of people who were reluctant to embrace Donald Trump at that time. I mean, December twenty fifteen was a very yeah. different time yeah. from now. I mean, yes. it's right. not that long ago, but um, it seems eons ago in terms of you know our views of Donald Trump and his seriousness of, uh, in terms of being a candidate. Right. So in December in twenty fifteen, that wasn't something that uh, many people entertained seriously as a, as a real possibility. Donald Trump becoming president. Uh, Michael Flynn. Uh, went to Moscow, and uh, he basically he, he did a dinner with RT, mm -hmm. uh, Russia Today, which is known to be mm -hmm. a, a, mm -hmm. a, a, a outlet affiliated with the Russian government. And he received tens of thousands of dollars to go do that. Um, turns out he never reported it on the security clearance forms that he needed to report. Uh, turns out he didn't take the necessary ethical steps. Uh, in, and he didn't get permission ahead of time. 
uh, and it appears right. it appears he didn't get uh, permission. Now, um, he's a retired officer of the U.S. military, and retired officers cannot get money from foreign governments. That's part of our constitution. Uh, so it's really very serious what what's been happening here. Not only has he kind of been cast out from the White House, he's now out there uh, getting criticized for possibly breaking the law. Right, uh, and that uh, charge yesterday came from. Uh, very unusual to see both Jason Chaffetz and Elijah Cummings, the Republican chair and the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, uh, reveal that to reporters yesterday. The two of them are not necessarily on the best of terms, uh, as we know. Uh, but let's just hear, here's Chaffetz uh, saying what uh, the way they read it. It appears as if he did take that money. It was inappropriate. Uh, and there are repercussions for the violation of law. So what are the possible repercussions? Uh, well, he has not been charged. They're just saying it looks like he broke the law. What happens next? Well, he could he could be charged. Um, uh, he could be charged. There are a number of legal li- liabilities that he faces. The House Intelligence Committee would have to send this information to the FBI, I guess, to the Justice Department. If the right? Justice Department had not already conducted its own investigation. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and there has been evidence... Uh, that suggests that the FBI might have already uh, been investigating Flynn mm-hmm. in either this aspect or some other aspect. Okay. Um, so he's in a lot of legal trouble. I mean, he's asked for he's asked for some immunity to speak to, for example, the House Intelligence Committee or the Senate Intelligence Committee or the FBI. Uh, and so far, it doesn't appear like he has any takers. Right. They've turned. In fact, uh, they turned him down. Adam Schiff, I remember saying, "We don't know enough yet." Right about well, the thing about you know when you grant someone immunity, you can just go willy nilly granting people immunity. You yeah, want to yeah. know, hey, what do you have to give us? Exactly. Does yes. it does it implicate other people? Are those uh, are those pieces of information more important than the charges which you may or may not face? Uh, so no one's gonna ha- no one's gonna start handing out immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs to sh- he needs to show that he has something, and right. so far he's not shown that. Right. So um, at the time, what we knew about Michael Flynn before was that he had had these conversations with the Russian ambassador. And I remember everybody was saying, this is a guy who was head, Flynn, General Flynn, of the Defense Intelligence Agency. Didn't he realize that any phone calls he had with the Russian ambassador would be picked up as part of ordinary surveillance? I mean, was he that dumb? Now I guess one could ask, is he that dumb to think he could go to Moscow, take this money, and not report it, and nobody found out, find out about it? I think the thing that most people don't realize is how difficult it is to become a general in the United States Army, right? It's, it's, it's an incredibly difficult, decades-long process. That Very requires, few do. You're right. That requires you outlasting and outperforming intellectually and physically all of your peers, all of whom are driven, all of whom are college educated. I mean, it's a very difficult thing to rise like he did to become the head of the defense intelligence agency. Yeah, yeah. Um, those people are typically not dumb. Those people are typically not <laughs> yeah. uh, this careless. Um, so it seems to me like a case of more like brazenness, uh, a feeling of impunity than it does. You know, he just didn't. He just didn't. He was too dumb to know that there might be implications. I I, I just don't see that. I mean, because, um, you know, I don't know the retired general, but I I do know um, it's exceedingly difficult to to rise to a position like he did. And to yeah. uh, And, and, you know, up until the Trump campaign, he certainly had a reputation as one of the 
the most uh, sound tactical minds uh, of the uh, of the U.S. military. Right. So tactically, from that's why a, he was given that job. I mean, the head yeah. of the Defense Intelligence Agency is a big job. Of course, he was fired from it too. But <laughs> right, he was deeply involved in special operations, which has yeah. his own unique, very aggressive culture, and that that may be part of. Uh, the brazenness and the, the the acts that he's engaged in, um, but beyond that, I, I you know I, I I certainly don't think it's a a matter of being dumb. So we haven't heard uh, for various reasons. There's been so much other news: the cruise missile attack on Syria, all the saber rattling in North Korea, da da da. That we haven't heard about the Russian connection for a couple of weeks. But th- doesn't this yesterday prove that the Russian connection is still a, as an issue? is still alive, hasn't gone away, and we haven't seen the end of it. Well, I, I certainly don't think that we've seen the end of it, right? We have ongoing investigations uh, on a Judiciary Subcommittee, a House Intelligence Committee investigation, a Senate Intelligence uh, Committee investigation. We've got the Federal Bureau of Investigation has made the unprecedented step of saying they have an ongoing investigation into mm-hmm. possible Trump-Russia ties. There's, there are inquiries being made. Now, yeah, as we speak, Others. and things will continue to leak out until I, I, I suspect this is a years long process. Really? Yeah. Other shoes to drop for sure. So well, people point out, you know, with Watergate, Watergate took a long time before we actually reached the oh, end yeah. of the line oh, with yeah. Watergate. You know, it was a couple of years. It actually took a long time before it bubbled up to be sure. a big, big story. Right. Uh, I remember at the time, just a quick side, I, I was living in California at the time. And you know, I heard a little bit about it, but mm-hmm. da, da, and then came back to my when my family had their house in Fenwick Island. Came back here and reading the Washington Post, and and I mean again, I'm in the media. This is right. I'm on television every day. I didn't re- and I read the Washington Post. And I said, "Oh my God, <laughs> this is a big freaking story that we on the West Coast weren't didn't appreciate yeah. until you really got here and read." The stuff that uh-huh. was coming out. When 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 did it elevate from just like oh this is interesting to, my gosh this is, this well, is you uh, know this uh, is ex- this is the accidental threat. I don't know maybe the time the House Judiciary Committee started, but it was it, it took that long before they were had, remember the public or mm-hmm. the public hearings they had and everything. But so back I want to come back to Michael Flynn. It's, uh, you said there are at least three inquiries underway right mm-hmm. now: House Intelligence, Senate Intelligence, FBI. You've taken a look at the Senate. We were under the impression until I read your story, well, the House Intelligence Committee has fallen apart because of Jason Chaffetz, even though they have a new head, they don't have their stuff together. The FBI, whatever they're doing, they're doing. But the Senate Intelligence Committee, Richard Burr and Mark Warner, they're out there and they're on the job. Are they? Well, they've given a very good kind of public impression of Bipartisanship, and you know, and and they they held a press conference, yeah, uh, last month, and it was a buddy buddy routine. You know, they were very much, uh, they were very much trying to impress upon the public that hey, we're the serious folks in the room. Yeah, we right. are going to conduct a serious investigation. The thing is, uh, as we report in the Daily Beast, they only have seven individuals uh, as part of the Russia investigation, and uh, all of them part have- time. All of them have other responsibilities on the yeah, committee. Yeah. Um, you know, one goes to law school part time. One, uh, two of them are staff directors, are, and which is you know a, a seventy, eighty hour a week job by itself. I mean, just oversight of the intelligence community. Um, so you have these individuals who uh, also lack some background that's necessary to do a serious investigation, which is complex investigative experience, prosecutorial experience, 
uh, law degrees. None of them have law degrees. Um, all of this is uh, suggests that as the investigation is currently configured, they can't have a serious investigation. Uh, I just want to translate that. That means that there is not one full-time staff member on the Russian connection. There is not a that no one's job is to lead the investigation, and just no one's job is to be like oh. primarily focused on the right. Russian investigation. This is my job full time. This is what yeah. I'm going to do. So nobody's directing it, but there are seven people part who are working on it part time. How many people have they subpoenaed? I don't think that they have subpoenaed anyone. How many people have <laughs> they? Um, uh, how many of the Trump people have they brought in to interrogate? They've not. They've not invited a single person in the Trump orbit to investigate. What they've so done, though, so how can you say they, this is they, a serious investigation? I'm not saying they, you can. How can they say it's a serious investigation? They're saying they're being methodical. They're reviewing documents at the NSA and the CIA, uh, and that they are. They have first begun to review by talking to intelligence community analysts, uh, and that they've conducted, you know, twenty more than twenty five uh, interviews of. Uh, people in the intelligence community who formed the backbone of, if you will call that intelligence community assessment that said Russia is hacking, or sorry, rather, Russia is trying to interfere with the U.S. election uh, and is trying to help Trump. Uh, so is Richard Burr, chairman, sort of dragging his heels here and trying to, you know, give Trump a little space or time or cover? Frankly, I don't know, and I don't think it's, it's. I don't think it's a personal thing. I don't think it's just a one person is trying to block this, or I don't think it's one person is trying to obfuscate this. And I don't think it's also helpful to view it in a partisan lens. I think that the, that it's a it's a problem of resources. They don't have the investigative muscle to do it, and there hasn't been someone really, you know, nipping at their heels. And the public has not has not really been um, demanding. Uh, more resources, more staff, well, and so on and so forth. Well, I hear, if I, I hear you say that, but you know they found the resources for fifteen Benghazi investigations. If they considered this a big deal, they'd find the resources. They'd take people off some other project, a stupid ass project that they might be on, and put them on this. If they really thought this was important, and it seems to me that our our, our a foreign adversary, if not enemy. To be hacking into our election, perhaps with the help of one of the candidates' team, is something that's pretty important. Well, like, right? On that point, yeah, on that point, you know, Trump keeps throwing these things out. So the same uh, people that are investigating the Russia stuff have to now investigate, you know, whether or not Trump was tapped by Barack Obama. You know, like they had to go through this whole thing. So everything keeps getting gummed up and slowed down. And I don't know if that's by design on Trump's part. I'm not sure that he's quite as Machiavellian as some people like to give him. He's always trying to change the subject. Yeah, I, I think that he's trying to change the subject, but I don't know if he's got some master plan. To yeah, try and changing cover the up. subject is not some sort of like evil. Right, like, like oh, I'll get them to like... stop talking about Russia by throwing out this allegation. <laughs> he's just sort of. But he does that. He does that with his tweets, like sort of every day. Let's go off on this tangent or something. But and I want to go back to this. Yeah, sh- yeah. Seems to me, yeah. interference in an American election and the possibility that first that that happened. We know mm-hmm. that happened. And what impact they had, and what help they got mm. from people like Michael Flynn or Paul Manafort or who knows, right? It's that's eminently so, important. It is eminently yeah. important, and I think that that you what, know. What else are they investigating that's as important as that? 
you know, 76% of people, uh, according to a recent poll, want an independent commission into yeah, well, we should the, have had that the uh, into yeah. the the Russian interference and and possible ties. Problem with that is to get a commission, you need to pass legislation in the House, Senate, and get it signed by the president. And guess who the president is? Yeah, um, that's going to be a very difficult task. I mean, this is you know it could be some time well, until we get uh, to the bottom. Uh, a question about that. Couldn't the Congress just create an independent commission? It could create what it could do is it could create a select committee. Oh, select committee. But the select committee would be made up of members from Congress, which is Got controlled it. by Republicans. But, but an independent commission would require a presidential. Action. Exactly. And then you would appoint someone, yeah. you know, of some stature, like a Colin Powell or, you know, some, uh, one very uh, prominent Republican, one very prominent Democrat outside Tom, Congress. Tom, Tom Dasho and Trent Lott. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But both highly respected uh, former. Uh, Senate leaders, leaders mm -hmm. of the Senate, one Republican, one Democrat. I didn't realize it would require a, uh, a, a Senate, I mean, a presidential dis, uh, signature. So we've got the House Intelligence Committee, Senate Intelligence Committee. Neither one, it sounds like, we can count on. I mean, let us, let's talk, go back to the House. I just assume the House is never going to get its act together now after uh, Chaffetz ruined it. One of the points I make in my story this week, though, is you know, are uh, they getting together? Uh, is that you know, if you look at the look at what's been accomplished, um, the, it was the House Intelligence uh, Committee that uh, that uh, led to an open hearing where the FBI director said, "Hey, we are engaging in an ongoing investigation into possible Trump Russia ties, Team Trump Russia ties." Um, I know that over the recess uh, last week. Uh, uh, Congressman Mike Quigley, who's a member, who's a Democratic member of that committee, went to Cyprus to investigate possible Russian money laundering as part of that investigation. Yeah. Things are happening. So even with Nunez out, some things are happening. Yes, I, th yeah. I think. Well, so what they what, going forward? They have uh, they have uh, a, a closed hearing scheduled for May second, and an open hearing uh, uh, that that they're trying to organize right now after May second for Sally Yates and other national security. Officials, mm -hmm. uh, and that will be very, very interesting to see. Um, and you know, I mean, I think that things are moving on the House. What does side. Sally Yates bring to the table? Former uh, acting Attorney General. Uh, well, what she uh, th there has been some public reporting that she had warned the White House about possible uh, possible Flynn ties and how he might have been compromised in some way. Um, uh, she, uh, you know, she resigned after, if you'll recall refusing to enforce uh, the president's executive order uh, on immigration. Uh, and and so, you know, she she has become one of those uh, political appointees of, of some renown. Right. So she can show I, I, it, it, it was when she found out about Michael Flynn and what she told the White House, I guess, about Michael Flynn. Yeah, right. I think I think she'd be able to testify to that. Yeah. Uh, so what confidence can we have in the FBI? Uh, investigation. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I think critics of the FBI uh, will find will find some reasons to criticize uh, the, Director James Comey's conduct during the election. If you'll recall, in the days right that's, before the that's, election, that's my point. He right. he came out and he said, uh, you know, well, first we've opened, we've reopened the investigation into Hillary Clinton, and oh, right, well, we've actually closed that. <laughs> um, and at the time, you know, the the investigation into Trump Russia ties, possible Trump Russia ties, and and Trump's campaign began in July of 2016. 
So it was ongoing at the time where he was public about Hillary Clinton. He was not public about the right. He the, told the us Trump about stuff. he told us about one investigation. He did not tell us about the other investigation. Uh, he was generally seen as um, tilting the scale in Donald Trump's favor right before the election by announcing the reopening of this investigation. Um, so, and and of course, he serves at the pleasure of the president. You know, can we really count on the director of the this 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 particular director of the FBI, whom we know is a Republican, to come up with an honest appraisal that would be in any way damning of Trump or the people around? Well, him? if I recall correctly, he he is a Republican, but he was appointed by the Obama administration, right? He was appointed by the Obama White House. Yes, yeah, he was. Uh, and and he has a, a long history of um, uh, experience in law enforcement, and by all. Uh, our, our general understanding of him, he's an upstanding individual who wants to do what's right. Um, I can't get into his head and what he was he saw before him when he made his decisions. <laughs> it may have been that the Trump investigation at the time was half baked. He wasn't he, he wasn't ready to announce any sorts of um, uh, sort of information before he had conclusions. Remember, it was months later. Mm -hmm. uh, it was it, it took months more to find for the intelligence community to to conclude. Um, you know the extent of Russian interference in the election, and uh, the the fact that they had uh, that the Russians had wanted to help Trump. Um, I I I'm not ready to say, hey, it's time to get give up on the FBI investigation. Right, and Comey also uh, is known he under uh, the, when John Ashcroft, mm -hmm. uh, the the famous time when the Bush White House tried to get them to. Uh, I forget exactly what, it, what, what when Ashcroft was on in his hospital room mm -hmm. in GW, and the White House sent Andy Card over there to try to get Ashcroft to sign something mm -hmm. uh, with um, Alberto Gonzalez, the Attorney General mm -hmm. at the time, uh, and uh, Comey rushed over and said, "No, the White House Counsel at the time." And Comey, uh, who was acting, I think, Attorney General, rushed over to Ashcroft and said, "No, this is unconstitutional. They don't have the power to do this. Don't sign it." So, yeah. Uh, which was standing up again against a Republican president. So if he did it once, one would hope he could do it again. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, that. this is you know that's the that's but, the anecdote on which his his entire reputation is based. And uh, you know, um, it, 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 I don't see evidence to say these guys are crooked. They don't want to. They don't want to look at the truth. Uh, you know, but the FBI investigation has been very secretive. You did report this week too that Tim uh, that uh, uh, Chuck Schumer. Uh, has publicly kind of rebuked Richard Burr for, for lack of progress? Yeah, I, I think a lot of Democrats... So after our story on the nature and the configuration of the Senate Intelligence Committee's investigation into Russia, I think Democrats began speaking out more publicly to criticize the pace of the investigation for the first time. Uh, and so the heat is on, on Burr. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think the heat is on Burr, the heat is on Warner, the heat is on... Um, various members of that committee to conduct a serious investigation, and I think that you know they're responding in some ways to that criticism. And are there are there hearings scheduled now? You mentioned some in the House, the Senate. Do, do, are there any public hearings scheduled? There are no public hearings scheduled for the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, Yates will be is scheduled now to testify before the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee, chaired by Senator Lindsey Graham, on May eighth. That's. So that's another whole independent investigation, isn't it? That's another different investigation with even less resources. I was going to say, how much staff does Lindsey Graham have for a subcommittee? 
Uh, I'm not sure, but, yeah, I, but it can't be much. Yeah. And I'm not sure they have dedicated staff. Right. And are there hearings scheduled in the House for the House? Of, uh, yes, there's until. there's a closed hearing for May 2nd, and then uh, Yates is expected to testify sometime after that. But you really think that this thing, this whole thing could drag on for years, right? Look, you look at other comparable investigations, the Iran-Contra, the 9-11 Commission, uh, pre-war intelligence on WMDs before the Iraq War, the torture report. Those all took years. Okay, yeah. Well, for those years, you have to stay on top of it, and you must come in here and keep us up to to date, okay? Thank you, Tim. Thank you. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. A judge says uh, the ban- the crackdown on sanctuary cities is unconstitutional. Donald Trump doesn't have that authority. And Republicans in Congress say we're not going to put up any money for your damn wall. Two big losses for Donald Trump yesterday. That's good news for us. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you on a Wednesday, April 26th. It is the Bill Press Show. We're booming out to you live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., Good to have you with us today as we tackle the important news uh, from right down the street in the United States Congress, from the White House, around the country, and around the globe. We'll uh, tell you what's going on. You tell us what it all means to you. And you do so, of course, by going on Twitter, sending us your comments uh, at BP Show. Uh, I told you we've got a great lineup of guests today to help us through the news of the day on the political front National political reporter for Politico, Gabe DiBenedetti, pops into studio for, uh, to join us this morning. Hello, Gabe. Good to see you. Good to be here. How's it going? Uh, everything's great. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the Bernie Tom Perez tour is over. And uh, and that's great, right? And little re- <laughs> got a little repercussions about it, right? Uh, yeah. I think yeah. it was, uh, you know, if you actually ask the people that were on the tour, it wasn't, there was nothing uh, all that controversial about it. But back here in D.C., uh, it, it was, uh, yeah, there there were a few tiny earthquakes, shall we say. Exactly. And we'll jump right into those and all the other new political news of the day with the Gabe DiBenedetti here and with all of you. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of the stories making news. We go to Webster Parish in Louisiana where their tourism board had a very nice woman who is in charge of all of their social media. Her name is Lynn Dorsey. She's 61 years old. Now, she was out of town on business and decided that she was going to go on Instagram and send her husband a racy private message. Nope. I can see where this is going. Except she manages the social media for the town that she represents. Mm -hmm. 
and accidentally did a 30-minute long, oh, oh. very explicit little performance for her husband, except she did it on the town's Instagram page for the Webster Parish Convention and Visitors Bureau. Now, she has been let go. I'll bet their tourism dollars, oh. I'll bet their tourism business went right Right. Right, right. This, right. She said up. it was a very innocent mistake. She feels <laughs> terrible about it, and she's actually suing to get her job back because she said it was like it was an accident. There's nothing that says that she shouldn't have done that, but sure. um, no word yet on if they're going to take her back. But I'm sorry. After the Access Hollywood tape, right? Are we really so pure? This that guy's <laughs> in the White House, right. and she can't be in Webster Parish, where whatever well, it is. she's lost her job, and now she's running for governor. That's it. Yeah, yeah exactly. She's not qualified to do that, <laughs> right? But she could be governor. Yeah. Uh, Bill, do you ever eat at Subway? Subway sandwiches? Yeah, once in a while. All right, all right. Well, I he- think they're uh, they're a little the tuna or the um, Ooh, classic you Italian eat Subway tuna. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> That is a you a seafood delight that is a, guy. That is a casino sandwich. In other words, it is a gamble as to whether or not you're going to live through eating a Subway <laughs> tuna so sandwich. Far. Or their well, classic Italian. Well, Subway is actually the okay. largest they fast food. They make their food. own rolls. Yeah, sure, make man. their own rolls. <laughs> Look, yeah, okay, dude. I, uh, you, I, mean, <laughs> I hear you. Bill's going to die on that hill for I, You're not going to convince me to eat a tuna sandwich from Subway, but like, we can, that's cool if you want to do it. But Subway is the largest fast food restaurant in the world. They have 40,000 Subway shops around the globe. But this year, for the first time in the company's history, they have closed more U.S. stores than they opened the year before. I mean, I guess at some point you hit a ceiling of like where you can open these Subway right. sandwiches. Uh, but tainted I, tuna. That's tainted that's why. Tuna. No, no, I'll go to a Subway any day before I go to McDonald's or Burger King or a Wendy's. You ever had the fillet of fish at McDonald's? Yeah, when I was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not eating a Subway tuna sandwich. More on fast food fish later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> Film at eleven. your radio on tv and online this is the bill press show my name is michael flynn and i'm in deep doo-doo <laughs> yeah hello everybody what do you say it's wednesday april 26 that's just one of the big stories that we are following today here on the bill press show welcome 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 great to see you uh, coast to coast uh, as we reach out to you, all part of the Young Turks Network on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on um, Free Speech TV as well, all part of DirecTV, and WCPT, the great WCPT out in Chicago, there with you in the greater Chicago area in the suburbs, where Barack Obama was back the other day making his big uh, comeback. Before he gives, we learn today, the next appearance is a $400,000 paid speech to a Wall Street firm, didn't he learn anything from Hillary Clinton? Uh, that's just part of the uh, political news of the day. G- g- again, Gabe DeBenedetti from the Politico, National Political Reporter, in studio with us. Gabe, good to see you. It's always good to be here. What is it about these former presidents, right? I mean, yeah, their M.O. is just rack up the speaking fees, and so many of them from Wall Street. Uh, well, Wall Street is, uh, in the words of Hillary Clinton, you know, they, they're offering. 
Right. <laughs> it's uh, like Willie Sutton, why'd you rob banks? Because that's where the where money, money is. is. Exactly. Right. I mean, you could think of it from the perspective of Obama. He's not running for anything ever again. Uh, no one in his family, he says, is running for anything ever again. So why not do it? But obviously, listen, he sets an example and... This is not necessarily the example that uh, a lot of people think that the last election uh, showed that the leader of the Democratic Party should be. Uh, it's definitely said it. It's definitely not a good look. I think right. it's, it's, I think it's definitely it's, not a good look. I think it's tone deaf. Yeah, I really, you know. Right. So his argument and the argument from people around him that I've heard is basically like he doesn't care. Right. He's not in politics anymore. But listen, the reality, the political reality, is that he totally is in politics, uh, whether he likes it or not. His his political tenure didn't end when he left the White House, and you know. Right. Very clearly, this is not what the country wants to be seeing. Very clearly. And yeah. there are a lot of people who still view Barack Obama as the leader of the Democratic Party. Whether or not, that, whether or not that is true, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. But, that, I mean, he's still one of the most visible Democrats out there. And so, yeah. It's, mm, who like is the guy. leader of the Democratic Party? Uh, do they need one? <laughs> I, I mean, th- seriously, I think – so th- th- this is a real question that I think a lot of Democrats are really grappling know. with. And, yeah. uh of, of course, right. And and so, you know, there's there's Tom Perez, there's Chuck Schumer, Bernie Sanders, Nancy Pelosi. But what I've been hearing more and more from people who hesitate to say this on the record, uh, or in public at least, is why do we need a leader in order to get back into power? Why Having a vision is different from having one person to hold up and be the face of the party. And so I think, you know, when push comes to shove, a lot of them will say essentially uh, Barack Obama or Chuck Schumer. Uh, but very few of them actually will follow those people to the ends of the earth. And I think basically the answer is Donald Trump. You know, just follow what he's doing and don't do it. And that's the that's the guiding star right now. Well, I certainly agree with you that there is no leader of the Democratic Party today. I mean, there are those – there are several people in leadership positions. Yeah. But that's different from being the leader of the party. Uh, and I'm not sure we need one. My own feeling is that somebody – will emerge right um eventually but clearly with all the the with all this energy that's happening today um women's march climate change march science march yep. you know town halls um a lot is happening without the leader right so i've been reporting on this specific phenomenon a lot recently and what you're hearing from a lot yep. of lawmakers is basically that the leader of the party is uh it sounds trite, but it's the real people. It's the grassroots. Yeah, there yeah. are a number of decisions, strategic decisions that the party party has basically made over the last few weeks, months that are totally driven uh, by the groundswell of of support or or opposition that they've seen from from real people. Power Letter writing people. campaigns. Yeah, uh, marches. I mean, it's this is not something that the party has seen in the last eight years, obviously. But you know, it's it's a real thing. Yeah, uh, I. I Gandhi, one of my favorite quotes is Gandhi said, there go the people. I must follow them because I'm their leader. Right. Exactly. And that's what's happening. That's what elected leaders are for. The idea that these town halls, for example, which are really organic, spontaneous, I mean, that that Donald Trump keeps saying, find out who paid them. Right. This is absurd. Yeah. And you look at, for example, the fight against uh, Betsy DeVos is a good example. I think a lot of people didn't like her. Uh, but the degree to which it became a huge national fight, that only started because of a totally organic letter-writing campaign that started. Basically, some people saw some clips and got angry about her and started it on Facebook, and it exploded. And now she's you know, regularly vilified. So that's a great example of how that's not because Chuck Schumer said, you know, in a behind-closed-door meeting, we're going to make 
her the big fight. Right. And we know how the Women's March started by just a woman tweeting to her friends. Yep. Or on Facebook, whether to her friends. We had last week uh, one of the founders of the March on Science here in the studio, and she said, you know, she just read something Trump had said and was pissed off and said, you know, we ought to go out and, <laughs> and maybe march for scientists or something, you know, and she, and she goes on Twitter and she fi- puts that out on Twitter and she finds out she's not the first person that had this idea and mm-hmm. suddenly they all start talking and voila, you know, you've got these marches all over the country. Right. Same thing with the climate change this weekend. So, right. Um, so it's it's how to harness that, harness that energy and whether anybody can or anybody emerge, it's, it's, it's a... It's a big, big right. question. At some point, now, someone will have to emerge to run for yeah, something. But. It, well, you know what? There are thousands and thousands of people who are exactly. emerging to run for political office who never thought of it before. Right. And that's their answer as to what do we do in response to Trump is right. we get in gear right. and put right. ourselves out there. Um, so what role does Bernie Sanders play? who is not even a Democrat. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of Democrats are trying to figure out right now. And as we saw from this uh, so-called unity tour last week, it is an (laughs) ongoing endeavor. Uh, What you hear from people in Bernie's world, uh, including himself when he's asked about this, is basically like, listen, I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do. I've been doing this for 40 years. The fact that I have a bigger platform now doesn't mean that I'm doing anything different. And if you look at the substance of what he's doing, that's essentially correct. I mean, no one should be all that surprised by what no. he's doing. Plus, he said from the beginning that he was about building a movement yes. or a revolution, not just running for president. That's right. Uh, well, from day one until the end of the campaign. Yeah, you would know better than, than most, but but my, my point is, you know. I was there. Right. Um, <laughs> I've read some good articles about that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, you know, from those of us covering the campaign, we remember the early days, he, he did not think he was going to be the president. No. Right? Uh, that's not to say that he didn't want to be or try to be, yeah. but what he's doing now is a natural outgrowth of what he did before. So the real question, I think, for leaders in the Democratic Party, not necessarily Senate leaders or, or people <laughs> you know, working on legislation, but people working out the actual political side, is where does he fit in in all this? Because there are certainly still a lot of people in the party who are sort of saying, listen, it's great you have this energy. It's great you have all these young voters. It's great that you have all these voters that don't necessarily identify as being Democrats, but you're not the only vision here. Uh, and there are a lot of people who still don't like him, to be you know, to be quite honest. Uh, there, there's well, still a lot of people who are very upset and will still say, oh, he's not even a Democrat. He can't be the face of right. the Democratic Party. He's not even a, a, a Democrat. And it's just like, I, I don't know. I think Democrats are going to have a really, really hard time letting – there are still people who think that Hillary Clinton did nothing wrong right. and she ran a perfect campaign – and that there are no lessons to learn here. That we just need to go out and do the same they, thing again. And next they blame time Bernie. And they blame Bernie. Yeah. So the, like the Clintonistas will never accept Bernie. I, I don't believe. And they, the, the, if you will, the real extreme Clintonistas. I, I get where you're coming yeah. from. And um, and today, there's no doubt about it. Part of this conversation and part of what's happening is still a replay almost of the primary, right. where some people have not let go. I right. mean, the comments that I've heard from some of the Clinton people about the fact that Tom Perez asked Bernie Sanders to go out on the road with him. Right. I mean, they're, they are really pissed off at that. They think it's the worst thing he could possibly have done, again, because Bernie wasn't a Democrat before, and he's not a Democrat now. And he's right. not. He's an independent, back right. to being an independent. Right, and I think one of the things, there are a few 
there are many, many different things to discuss within that within that you know kind of statement. But I think one of the big questions that these folks are <laughs> trying to deal with right now is it's not necessarily the question. The question is not necessarily should Bernie Sanders be the face of the party, be the driving force of the party. What some of these folks are actually saying is Bernie Sanders should not be in the party at all. Tom Perez is not trying to make Bernie Sanders the face of the party. He's basically yeah. just trying to say, listen, he's a major voice. It would be stupid of us not to use him. Uh, Bernie Sanders is would be, as far as I can tell, totally content to not be the only face of the Democratic Party. Yeah. Yeah. He just wants yeah. to be. He wants to have his voice in this conversation. But he also Bernie. right. Yeah. Yeah. But he also it's it's interesting as an independent though when he goes out he talks about what's. The reform of the Democratic Party yes. and the Democratic Party today needs a major shakeup, which I totally agree with. And we got to be about that. So he's right. really preaching uh, a revitalization, if you will, right, of, sure. of the of Democratic Party. Sure. But if you look he's at it. He's not trying to th- start a third party. No. Right. Yeah. And he's said that over and over. Right. Uh, and but I think what what, what you're <laughs> still seeing is a lot of mistrust from some people that don't understand where necessarily where he's coming from and what they're saying is listen you can't have it both ways how can you say i refuse to be a member of the party but also the party needs to make x y and z changes and from their perspective this is it's not a question of purity tests or anything like that it's sort of like welcome to the team but you have to contribute yeah yeah i i must say i as a bernie bro right an early <laughs> bernie supporter right. i really uh, i was surprised that he uh, urged him to become a democrat before right. he ran and I was surprised that he went back to being an independent once the campaign was over because I thought he had made his mark on the Democratic Party. I think he would be, and I've told him, I will tell him this, I haven't yet, that I think he'd be more effective if he had a D after his name. Right. Just just to get that issue behind him. It's sort I of mean, a gateway issue for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. Yeah, You're right. right. You're absolutely right. And fine. I welcome all of his ideas about reforming the Democratic Party, but I welcome it more Right. Were he a Democrat? I think a lot of people do feel that way. And I do think that a lot of folks who don't understand the trajectory of where this where this came from, uh, who, who are skeptical of his, you know, trying to reform the party from the outside, don't necessarily appreciate that to him and to people in his world. It is already a monumental step that he's agreeing to do all this stuff in the first place, that he's agreeing to get on a plane with the head of the Democratic Party and yeah. do these, yeah. do these right. you know, rallies under the aegis of the Democratic Party. That's not something that he would ever be doing. So everything is going great until they get to Omaha. Yeah. So in Omaha, uh, where Tom Perez was actually not at this rally, which it seems to be. You know, I've heard that he was and that he wasn't, but okay. So he wasn't. They brought in actually Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison. Was there. Um, But it was was, It was part of the tour. Absolutely. It was a DNC rally. Yes. Um, So Sanders had uh, endorsed this this candidate for for Omaha mayor, uh, Heath Mello, who turns out in the past had voted for or had stances that were seen uh, rather negatively, shall we say, by the pro-choice community. He's basically seen as an anti-abortion candidate in Mm -hmm. in Nebraska, uh, and Bernie stood with him, you know, stood next to him, said, vote for this guy. Uh, and that really obviously rubbed a lot of people and, the wrong way. And, and, and delivered the DNC endorsement, or Keith Ellison did. I guess. That's right. Yeah. Or, or essentially, if not explicitly saying that. Right. And so you ha- what you what happened was Narrow, basically, at least Hoke from Narrow said, this is not acceptable. You know, we can't – it's not acceptable for the Democratic Party to be standing up there and embracing someone with these views. And it spiraled from there. Uh, Perez then sort of felt a lot of pressure and then got out there and said, you know – the Democratic Party should be a party of uh, 
the, the pro-choice party, and while people can disagree with us, that's what the standard should be. And then Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and others sort of said, we need to be a big tent party, and it spiraled into this bigger thing. No one expected that when they brought Bernie onto this tour, it was going to be a tour that, that plunged them into this existential crisis or conversation about, you know, what the nature of the big tent. But that's where we are. Or or a big debate about abortion, which yes. is the last thing the Democratic Party yeah. needs right now. Absolutely. Right. 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 Yeah. And it seems Rather that than moving forward, they're going back to I mean, in a sense, they put this issue behind them in a sense. The Democratic Party, clearly the pro-choice party. Right. That's the dominant theme of the party. That's what the party fights for. People like Nancy Pelosi, all, all of them fight for. And, yeah, there are some Democrats who may not agree with that, but still that's the party, right? Right, absolutely. I think the the, the objection was that there were people in these, you know, people at NARAL specifically, but other parts of that community as well that felt as if uh, by endorsing this guy who had just come under fire specifically for these issues, Bernie was more or less saying that uh, – Abortion is a social issue subordinate to the economic issues, and that, of course, is something that they would vehemently disagree with. But yeah, I, you know, I know Bernie is the one who was there, but I, I skip him about sure. the, the DNC sponsored this rally, right? right? So right. I mean, Tom Perez was on board, so was Keith Ellison at right. one point. Then Tom Perez has been trying to backtrack ever since. Here's a question: If Nayra were so upset about Heath Mello that they that they create this all this um, this flap. Why weren't they upset about Tim Kaine being Hillary Clinton's running mate? I never heard a peep from Dayrell about Tim Kaine. Yeah, I mean, there was a bit of reporting when it seemed clear that he was going to be the running mate. Mm-hmm. And there was some talk in the community about what it would mean. Uh, but you're right. They certainly weren't any angry statements about what the party stands for. Yeah. Um, uh, again, so why why have what? this whole this debate? And then what was it? Daily Coast also... They unendorsed. They unendorsed. Yeah. Endorsement. Yeah. Right. I mean, part of this is clearly I, there's a feeling among leaders of the party that this is the time to be having these existential conversations, and so let's have them right now. Right. Uh, and the question is, what what is the party a Big Ten party or not? And is there room for anybody in the party who does not agree with right. the Democratic Party's a, a platform or a, a, a established position as pro-choice? Uh, you have a Senator Bob Casey. You've got a Tim Kaine. You right. have a Tom Perriello. Right. Uh, and and a Heath Mello, and I understand to, at least today. I mean, Mello has said, "Look, this I'm a Catholic. This is my personal belief, but I'm not. I would right. never do anything that would in, t- interfere with a woman's right to choose." Right. And so I think there were a lot of people whose objection to this was based on the fact that Bernie Sanders was the one standing up there doing this because they believe that he mm. uh, has imposed purity tests on. And again, this is the perception. Uh, on candidates in the past, uh, you know, for before he can call them proper progressives. And it would seem to them that, that yeah. Mello did not fit that description. But that said, Bernie has been very, very clear that he wants to be winning in these red states. And, you know, there is a serious question about how you win in a state like Nebraska. Yeah, Omaha may not be the deepest red part of it, but... If you want to win in some of these red states, right. uh, you've got to be a big tent party. Because whether it's abortion or death penalty, or gun control, or name the issue, climate change. Right. They're going to be some progressive, defined, so defined in that state, Sure, who are not going to be 100% with every single damn issue in the Democratic Party platform. Yep. That's, that's by poli- definition. That's political reality. Right. You know? Right. And I thought Nancy Pelosi, and there is nobody stronger in terms of 
women's reproductive rights than Nancy Pelosi. You know, right. for Nancy Pelosi to say, of course you can be anti-choice if you will, and be a Democrat. I mean, she's worked with them her entire career in Congress. Right. And Elizabeth Warren said something. And Elizabeth similar. Warren right. said the very yeah same thing. So I want to ask you about a question I got asked about yesterday on MSNBC, which is, has the Democratic Party done the kind of introspection you would think a party would do after losing an election that everybody said they could never lose? I feel like I know what the answer to this one should be. <laughs> no, and, and What I've do you written, think? No, absolutely not. Yeah. And, I've, and I've written about this in the past, which is that there are there's not been one central autopsy. Actually, this is the first question I asked Perez and Ellison after that election. In Atlanta, I said, are you going to commit to doing an autopsy? And they were like, whoa, we'll talk about that later. Um, hmm. There are yeah. maybe two dozen autopsies floating around in the party right now from different groups, different parties, uh, you know, different party committees, different uh, lawmakers, different former lawmakers. And I've reported on this in the past, and people within the party structure sort of say, listen, we've got all that out there. We have other things to what." focus on right now. Um, but this is a symptom of a bigger problem in the party, which is if you ask Hillary Clinton or people in her camp, you know, at the top of her campaign why they lost, their answer is uh, Vladimir Putin and James Comey. That those that may be, but there has not been a broad, formal, central introspection about, you know, what went wrong. And there are a lot, I, I believe, I have reason to believe that in the coming weeks, we're going to hear more of a uh, course about that. Well, first of all, I must congratulate you on such a brilliant answer. It happens to be the, <laughs> the very same there one that I gave Steve Karnacki yesterday on there MSNBC. No, there has not been. And to his credit, Reince Priebus in 2012 commissioned this study. Um, I forget who carried, who performed the study. It was, it was a group of people. Sally Bradshaw from the Jeb world was part yeah, of it. Yeah. Uh, and there were a few people but, that were in that. And they came out with this famous report, which we all dubbed the autopsy report, which That's I right. still thought was kind of funny because you didn't conduct an autopsy on anybody who's alive. Uh, but at any rate, and it was a good report, uh, I thought. Yeah. It really talks about some fundamental ch policy changes that the Republican Party right. had to make if they were going to ever win the White House. Now, as it turned out, <laughs> right. uh, we got a guy in the White House who basically it was just the opposite of that report. But at any rate, they went through that exercise. The Democratic Party officially has not. Right. So what I've heard from a lot of folks is that was why that was widely panned at the time, the Growth and Opportunity Project, they called it, oh, because right. it uh, basically said we need to change on X, Y, and Z things in the party itself actually said, we're not doing that. You know, like, we're not going to change on yeah, immigration. Yeah, we're not right. going to change on getting a better data program within the party itself, mm -hmm. these kinds mm -hmm. of things. But uh, what it did and what a lot of people are now realizing was very useful was help organize the thinking about all this stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the Republican Party is, to bring it back to the last conversation, a huge tent party, whether Democrats want to admit it or not. There are a lot of different factions in that party, and it's useful for them to put on paper what went wrong, what they need to be doing, and different ways of thinking about these issues. Democrats are nowhere near doing that right All right. Now. Then the other, the, the only thing that is going on, at least in theory, is this commission that was created at the convention to take a look at things like open primaries right. and super delegates and all that. Now, we had almost all of the candidates for DNC chair when that whole election was going on, and we pushed all of them on what are you what are you going to do about super delegates? And all of them said, "Oh, we're going to let the commission decide. We're going right. to let." Well, the commission hasn't even started meeting yet, has it? Next month. 
Yeah, and and I think there are a lot of people in the party who are terrified that they are just going to be plunged straight back into the Hillary versus Bernie stuff from yeah. last year. And people on the commission have said this to me. This is this. No one thinks it was a bad idea to have this commission. The problem is, it's kicking off in early May, which is essentially a year after the primary ended, and it is just to be. Yeah. Yeah. And and the goal of it is to talk and, about the primary issues. You know, so the goal is essentially yeah. to relitigate the presidential primary using people handpicked by Hillary Clinton and Bernie, and Bernie Sanders. Sanders. And these are not uh Oh yeah. This these are people who are not going to be afraid to 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 speak their minds. So this is going to be just a, a public airing of all the Democratic Party's dirty laundry. That is the uh both <laughs> most worth both worst case scenario if you ask people in Perez world mm -hmm. uh and the most likely scenario. <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah, and just at the Worst possible time right. at a time when Democrats uh, should be probably focusing on should be focusing on recruiting candidates and training candidates for 2018. Right. Uh, yeah. So yes. for the party, it's just not I mean, it's safe to say, I guess, it's just not enough, though, to be the anti-Trump party. Right. Right. And so, you know, in my story yesterday, I spoke with. Uh, Con Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio, and he said he's coming in next. He's right outside. <laughs> right out. Right here in a second. Uh, yeah, you I mean the famous Tim Ryan Gabe from Ohio? Benedetti, this is your life. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> and what he said uh, in the story, and uh, you should ask him about this, is essentially we have we have a new energy, but we don't have a new brand. Uh, and yeah. so there is definitely this new uh, sense of this new fuel in the party, where the, the grassroots are really driving things. But you know, the, the party is essentially saying. Uh, this energy comes from being anti-Trump, and that has proven that it's not enough yet. The party has not yet won any of these congressional elections. They've swung them 20 points in their direction, but at some point there has to be a, a sort of reckoning, a lot of people are saying. This sort of feels similar to the Occupy movement in, in, in a little bit. I'll explain in that like, you've got all these people who are just so they, – they've got all this pent-up energy and frustration. And they want to put it somewhere. and They want to do something about it, and unless I think someone – corrals that energy and points it in a direction, they run the risk of having it just sort of fizzle out. Sure. And I think that there are a lot of people in the party who don't necessarily want to uh, be seen as trying to corral yeah, this, sure, this energy sure. for, for a number Fair. of reasons. Yeah. But I think what you are starting to see is people on the Hill, people in the country, talk about ways to at least direct the me national messaging in the right direction, to try and you know, do something that the party's not done yet, which is really have an affirmative message. Because the party's message right now is Trump has been breaking the promises of the first 100 days. It's all anti-Trump, but they have not yet made the pivot no. to say, this is why this matters to you, and this is what we would do differently. Right. Um, it, do you see any sign at all? We talked at the top about Barack Obama and his big planned speech to uh, the Wall Street firm next week mm -hmm. for 400 grand. The president did say that he was going to be joining forces with Eric Holder, yep. and they were going to make their priority, their target, winning back state legislative races yep. uh, in uh, 2018 and 2020, uh, of which we lost like 950 That's under right. the last eight years. That's right. Uh, Democrats flipped to Republicans. It is anything happening on that? Is Obama doing anything about that? Obama himself has not been doing a lot of public stuff on that, but the national... 
Democratic Redistricting Committee or something. They're calling it something like that. Is has actually been quite active behind the scenes and trying to what they're trying to do right now is raise money. The way that they're looking at this is they have to recruit candidates, they have to fight legal battles, and they have to look at look for local referenda that will help them. Uh, so I think a lot of what they're doing right now is really behind the scenes, trying to make sure that they are in place once these elections come closer to actually getting out there and doing this stuff. But in terms of having Barack Obama talk about this stuff publicly, no. What you have seen is Terry McAuliffe talks about it, Nancy Pelosi talks about it, Eric Holder talks about it. But at no point is this the uh, you know the driving force in the party right now. This is just what they're saying to donors, essentially. Well, uh, <clears throat> I have to say this should be the driving force of the party, but <laughs> nobody asked me. Uh, Gabe DeBenedetti, great to see you. Right, as always. And remember, Gabe is just the uh, warm-up act. For the man himself, uh, the good congressman from Ohio, aforementioned by Gabe as a rising star of the party, Congressman Tim Ryan joins us next. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. You are talking about a president who said he was going to drain the swamp. He's filling up the swamp with those who are aligned with him, who is all about money. Follow the dollar. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right, here we go uh, on a Wednesday, April 26th. How about it? It is the uh, Bill Press Show. Washington, D.C. is where you find us. Uh, that's where we begin, but we end up right alongside of you, wherever you happen to be, coast to coast, on uh, Free Speech TV, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, and on the great WCPT out in the Chicago area. Coming to you live from our nation's, uh, from our studio on Capitol Hill, Brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the federal agencies who keep our uh, government running day in and day out, as long as there's not a shutdown, of course. Uh, We'll find out about that in a minute. Uh, uh, Under the leadership of President J. David Cox, who is going to uh, join me, or I'll be joining him at the White House Correspondents' Dinner uh, this Saturday, check out their website at afge.org. Well, it's not often that uh, one guest uh, prepares his appearance by sending in a guest ahead of time who tells us what a great man he is. (laughs) But that's what happened this morning. We call that the Youngstown (laughs) 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 two-step. As Gabe DeBenedetti said, the Congressman Tim Ryan is the man of the hour, and here he is. Hey, Congressman, how are you doing? What's happening? Why did you get so dressed up for us this morning? We are in the midst of our congressional baseball charity game, Democrats versus Republicans, which is in the middle of June, mm-hmm. and our practices start now in April. Well, because we're only here, th- we're here three days a week. So, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and then we yeah, have a couple. Did, you guys breaks. lost. You guys lost last year, didn't you? I hate to bring that anyway, up. Anyway, let's but... talk about the government <laughs> shutdown. And... <laughs> so I'm all right with y'all doing a yeah. little more practice. We had about a seven-year win streak, I think. Yeah. And then last year, it just kind of uh... ran out of steam. Everything's cyclical. Yeah, you there know, you go. Creation, so, preservation, uh, <laughs> destruction. For those of you, uh, <laughs> for those of you listening, not watching, a uh, good congressman has a, a navy hoodie on, or sweatshirt at mm-hmm. any rate, U.S. Navy, 
and a Make America Great hat. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> why you hurt me, Bill? Why you hurt oh, me like that? What is the why? Youngstown? Youngstown. 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 Got it. Yeah. Some people think Yale. I said it's the Yale of the Midwest. There you go. Oh. Youngstown State <laughs> University. I, I got it. Uh, I think of Youngstown. I think of Jim Trafficant. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting part of our history. <laughs> so is there going to be a government shutdown? I don't think so. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like they want to avoid it at all costs to the point where Trump sounds like he's uh, backing away from the, the building the wall, which I think is pretty significant. And he wouldn't do so unless he heard from some Republicans in Congress. Republicans in Congress, right? We don't like this wall. Yeah. And well, I mean, just logistically, you think about you know what Senator Cornyn says. Like, okay, if we're going to build this wall, if we build it on our side of the river, we ha- it's all private property, so that's going to be a huge process. And oh, by the way, Mexico gets the river then, right? <laughs> if we're building a wall on our side of the river. They get the, they get yeah. the river. That's not very smart. If we build it on their side. Uh, I think they'd give us some trouble trying to build it. That's sort of extraterritorial. So, yeah. yeah. So, right. you know, I mean, just from very practical uh, purposes, and not to mention that 90% of the drugs coming in from over the border come in through points of entry. They come in through El Paso in a car, mm. in a little sunglass package or whatever. Heroin's small. It's not like cocaine. You know, you think of these movies back in the day where you got these truck giant bales, yeah, yeah. kilos of uh, mm. cocaine or marijuana. Heroin's very small, can be brought over in small amounts in a station wagon with a family that looks like yours or mine. The, the one thing about the wall, uh, the, the President Trump yesterday, when he was signing that executive order, and the reporter shouted out some questions about the wall, um, and he said, do we have that, Jamie? Maybe just uh, listen to it again, where uh, he's asserting for sure that this wall, this wall, this wall is uh, going to be built. The wall's going to get built, and the wall is going to stop drugs, and it's going to stop a lot of people from coming in that shouldn't be here, and it's going to have a huge effect on human trafficking, which is a tremendous problem in this world, a problem that nobody talks about. And he also said the wall's going to be built in his first term. He did not say Mexico's going to pay for the wall. doesn't say that anymore. Yeah. American taxpayers, if if this wall goes forward... Do you think Republicans in Congress are going to really stick it to American taxpayers to pay for it? I think they're going to be hard-pressed to do that. I really do. I mean, they may try to do something to k- kind of kick the can down the road a little bit. Oh, we're going to study it. We're going to survey it. Yeah. Here's a few, yeah. you know, a few million bucks to do this or that. <laughs> but, you know, he was in Ohio, and he you know, he would scream at these rallies, you know, who's going to pay for the wall? Yeah. Mexico who? Yeah. Mexico who? It was like a, a rallying No cry. conditions. No, you know, no. ifs, ands, or buts. Right? So I think people back in places like Youngstown who voted for him— you know, Trumbull County, my biggest county, just north of Youngstown, voted 51-44 for Trump. First time they went Republican since 84. And they were banking on him, focusing on them, focusing on the economy, fulfilling some of these promises. And then he loads his cabinet up with Goldman Sachs people and Wall Street people. He backs off on the wall. He didn't do anything with NAFTA, you know, window right. dressing. Um, and where's the infrastructure bill? Where's the trillion dollars you were talking about putting putting our guys to work? It's not there. So at some point, I think they're still giving them a shot. I'm not here to say, oh, everyone's thrown in on them. Clearly, Democrats are more animated. But most Democrats that voted for him, independents voted for I think they're still kind of waiting. But, boy, he's really laying down a, a storyline here to say, 
<laughs> I said a lot of things during the campaign that aren't going to happen. You yeah, don't remember one, that? You don't remember that that uh, that rallying cry when he would say, "What are we going to do? We're going to build a wall, and when are we going to build it? Or who's going to pay for it?" And people would say, "Eventually, but at a later date, so we could get started early. Mexico will be paying in some form for the badly needed border wall," which yeah. is what he tweeted earlier that this week. That was his tweet yeah. earlier this yeah. week. <laughs> it doesn't quite have the yeah. same ring to it, does it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, go back to the drawing board with that <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, right. And that's where we are with with him. And I think you know we've got to. I, I don't know if you, what you want to talk about today, Bill. I mean, I'll talk hey. about whatever. But that's why we've, I think we've got to really have an affirmative agenda. Because people, quite frankly, well, are starting to feel like they've been bullshitted. Yeah. Well, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you. I mean, is it enough for the Democratic Party to be the anti-Trump party? No. I mean, it's a part of it. Yeah. Because you're, yeah. you're, you have a responsibility as an opposition party, especially when someone violates your values like he does. You've got to fight like heck to, you know, against them. But you've got to have an affirmative agenda. You know, we did a roundtable the other day with Sherrod Brown on, on trade in Warren, Ohio. You know, we've had thousands of people lose their steel jobs. Steel mills closed down. The third shift at General Motors laid off. They're talking about laying off more people. And we're having this conversation with about 10 union people. And one woman uh, was talking about very kind of emotionally, like, what are we going to do? What are our kids going to do? And I think it's not 2005, you know, when we said, oh, Bush is going to privatize Social Security and this war is going bad, put in the Democrats. And no one really knew who the Democrats were at that point, but, mm-hmm. they, but they put us in. Now we have a very negative brand. And so we've got to reinvent ourselves. And I think we've got to get creative with what we're talking about on how we're going to literally put people back to work. Not, oh, we're going to put people back to work. Uh, oh, we're going to spend government money to put people. Like, what is the plan that you can talk to a steel worker in Youngstown mm-hmm. or a coal miner in West Virginia and say, and it makes sense to them. Like, this is a realistic plan that Tim Ryan has that's actually going to put me back to work. Right. And if we don't have that, uh, on jobs, on health care, then I think they, def- they they may put us back in. I don't know. But then when we get back in, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, what's our brand? What do we stand for? Uh, and that's got to be that's got to be like right now. Right. Starting in 2018. I think so. I mean, things are out there. You know, uh, it's broadband. You know, I may have mentioned this last time I was on. For every. 10% penetration in broadband, you get 1.2% growth. Hell of an investment. Yeah. So why don't we sit down with Google Fiber folks and AT&T and the, and the telecommunications companies and, and let's figure out how we lay broadband in every corner of the country. Into coal country. If you're in southern Indiana and you're homeschooling your kid, you should have access to all the information that you need to homeschool your kid. Or if you want to start a factory in Youngstown for real advanced manufacturing, which is really the only kind there is now in America anyway, mm-hmm. um, how do you have the capabilities to download the files that you need to be able to do the high-end mm-hmm. advanced manufacturing? Because a lot of communities are completely locked out because they don't have the fiber. They don't have the capabilities of taking right. something from Boeing and downloading it to a, a shop in Youngstown. They don't have the capabilities to do that because the the, the fiber uh, capabilities aren't there. That's one. A job can't be outsourced. They're paying people 50 bucks an hour in upstate New York to lay Google Fiber. Pretty damn good job. 50 bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, 30 is a good job. Smart grid, another job. Can't be outsourced. Waste a ton of energy. Our grid is not secure. Yeah. There's yeah. all kinds of issues going on. Let's rebuild the smart grid. 
And I think what we've got to do is we've really got to get away from, oh, I'm going to train you, Bill Press, uh, for some job that's coming. You know, I'll tell you about that later, but okay. you need to get retrained and go over to this community college and drop five or ten grand. That, that's, no one buys that anymore, right? I think you've got to say you're hired. You're hired to do broadband. You're yeah. hired to do the smart grid. And, then you, and we'll train you as an apprentice, and we'll yeah. give you maybe 40%, like a lot of the construction trades. We'll give you 40%. I was going to say construction trades have been doing that yeah. successfully for years. Why can't we do that? That's to me, is very practical and can be explained and needed, and it changes the trajectory of the country. So those are two real simple things that I think we, would, we could be able to do. It's critical that you're out there talking about this because I think it's become very, very clear that the current administration, this is not a priority for them. Yeah. This is not like at all on any level, right? And it also kind of in a wistful way when I look back at the years of Barack Obama where we managed to keep things on a fairly even keel. We weren't worried about, you know, war with a six or seven different countries every day. <laughs> <laughs> that we could do, we could like look at things like this and you know take those big swings at things like the cancer moonshot mm-hmm. or you know like making sure that the rest of the country gets caught up with a lot of the bigger cities not even on the radar right now yeah. for Donald Trump yeah not even on the radar well it takes you know you figure out okay how are we going to finance land broadband around the country how are we going to finance the grid I mean this would take thought and it would take yeah uh, right. compromise and it would take bringing in both parties and industry and labor. But if you're going to do something big, you got to do that. And that's what you worry about with Trump is that, you know, his attention span is not quite long enough to do a lot of things, but <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. De- definitely not put together a real comprehensive plan. But my fear is, you know, well, other countries are putting tens of billions of dollars into these kind of things. And, in, and if we, un- we there's so much potential in this country that if we would unleash it by. You know, not having broadband today is like not having a road go to your community. Can't mm-hmm. get a, can't get the raw materials in, can't get the product out. We're not locating there. You yeah. know, you're not by water 200 years ago. We're not going to build a factory anywhere but where there's water. You got to get it in and out. Uh, is there anybody in the Congress or, or the uh, on the Democratic Caucus or in the Democratic Party who is working on you know what the Democratic agenda is moving forward? Uh, I don't Rather think, than against just stopping yeah, Donald Trump, I don't hear a whole lot. I mean, I think there are some people out there with ideas uh, that are that are good, but, um, but nothing like a comprehensive. It's not percolated up, excuse yeah. me, into our leadership to where it's part of our brand. And and you've I got mean, eighteen months. I'm not going to convince yeah. you today that we need to lay broadband yeah. and do the smart yeah. grid, but I need to in eighteen months convince you that if if you want to be hired and realistic job of the future that's going to be around for a while, that's going to get you to your retirement, 55-year-old steel worker, then you need to vote for the Democrats. Yeah. And we need to ride that into 18 and 20. Yeah. I hate to use the phrase contract with America, but, I mean, as as bullshit as it might have been, Newt Gingrich had that plan moving forward. It said, if you elect us, here's what our priorities are going to be. Here's what we're going to do, right? Um, and uh, Democrats, we got, got time to develop it, but I yeah. certainly hope that but now people more, take your lead. Now and, more than ever, I just think even, you know, you, you talk about the contract for America. That was 1992? Three? Um, no. T- well, when did they take over? Two, I think, wasn't it? No, he, well, he got in 92. He got sworn in January 93, so 94. So you're talking 23 years ago. The, the diminishment of trust with institutions has wow. continued to go down. 
even more reason you need an actual plan with authentic leaders who are out saying this is realistic. Let me tell you how I'm going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, not we're just going to do yeah, it. Right. And it's not transactional. It's it's comprehensive in the sense that I'm going to get you back to work. Someone who needs 10 years to get the Medicare, which is what a lot of people talk about in places like Youngstown. How many more years do I have until I can get to my Social Security <laughs> and my Medicare? <laughs> Because yeah. they're scared, right? You know, and and they don't—they're not sure the and job's going to be uh, there, or they wonder if the Social Security and Medicare are going to be there. Yeah, when 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 they get there, um, what happens to so Donald Trump today is going to unveil uh, his ideas about tax reform, uh, and all we've heard so far is we're going to cut the corporate rate from thirty-five percent down to fifteen percent. Which is going to benefit a lot of companies, maybe including one of them called the Trump Enterprises, right? Yeah. Whatever. Uh, yeah. What's you know is that is that it from what you hear, and is this what we expected? And that's that's all. And we're what hearing. does that do to the deficit? Well, it blow a hole in it if you don't pay for it, and it's kind of the typical Republican thing. You know, it started out well, we're for par- partial birth abortion. Then it was like, well, now we're going down to twenty weeks. And then it goes to like just eliminate it all together like they just because the their party is getting so conservative they keep moving mm-hmm. in one direction very quickly then it used to be on on corporate taxes well we need to get from 35 to 25 and then someone says well we got to maybe we got to get down to 20 now trump says well we get it to 15 you know it just c- continues to move in a direction that becomes more and more unreasonable i do think we need to lower the corporate tax it is not competitive around the world we need to be middle of the pack we don't need to be the lowest yeah but we need to be the middle of the pack i think that's fair mm-hmm. you know we're not anti business we we want our companies to be competitive but it needs to be paid for and when you have a huge concentration of wealth in the country then you need to ask those folks to help pay for something that's going to make it more competitive for companies in Youngstown, Ohio, to grow and hire. I think that's realistic as Democrats for us to ask that. But Trump has no plan. There's no plan. There's no reform. There's no simplification of the tax code. You know, there's going to be no simplification. So all the, you know, all the people who want certainty and a more simplified tax code, you're not going to get it here. Uh, and so what? And 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 if no matter what he says today, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. I mean, it's a long, long road. <laughs> Come on, Bill. Seriously, <laughs> no, I, mean, seriously. I thought when Trump said something, <laughs> I know. it just he, goes right into implementation. No. <laughs> he thinks it happens yeah, that way, doesn't he? Does he? Think, he still in his reality, yeah, that's yeah. right. Congressman Tim Ryan with us from Ohio's thirteenth. Uh, so, Congressman, you know that with all this important stuff, the Democratic Party ought to be doing. Um, instead, this week, a lot of Democrats uh, ended up in a big, big debate over abortion and pro-choice and whether anybody who is not pro-choice has a home in should have a home in the Democratic Party. Heath Mello is the Democratic candidate for mayor of Omaha, Nebraska. Normally, we would never have heard of him except for this flap. Is there a place in the Democratic Party for a Democrat like Heath Mello? Absolutely. Needs to be. If you want to have a majority party in the country, if you ever want to govern again, um, you need to not agree um, with people who are pro-life. Having been a former pro-life member of Congress, um, I am now a pro-choice member of Congress because I learned about the issue and understood really what women were going through. I got married. I had kids myself. I understood the complexities of pregnancies, the whole nine yards. But I'm, I'm a pro-choice member. But when I got here... Uh, I think when we were rule, when we were in the majority, we had 36 pro-life Democrats in the House of Representatives, and we Whoa. probably had another 10 or 15. I haven't checked this stat, but we probably had another 10 or 15 that would. 
maybe vote for partial birth abortion. They were pro-choice, but they voted for that Mm -hmm. partial birth ban. They voted for Nancy Pelosi for speaker. They voted for health care. They voted for an energy bill. They voted for Lilly Ledbetter. (laughs) You know, they they voted for equal pay. Um, They were with us on 70, 80 percent of you know, what we wanted. Or more. Or right. If not more. And so to, to, to you, if, if you don't have pro-life members, you're never going to win in southern Indiana. You're not going to win in Tennessee, rural Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama. And when I got here, we had probably five or six members from Tennessee. I know three for sure from southern Indiana we had. We had two or three members in, um, in Mississippi. I think we had two or three members in Alabama. Northern Florida, North Carolina, we had maybe yeah. four or five members. These, some of these members were pro-life Democrats. And, and what we have to just kind of have a conversation about is, really, um, do you want someone who disagrees with you on 20 or 30 percent of the issues that we all care about? Or do you want someone who disagrees with you on 100 percent of the issues? You know, you want to put a Republican in there? And that's what we got now. And I think if we alienate and we don't look like we're welcome, we're never going to have, you know, the the Democrats are a pro-choice party. It's in our platform. It's not going to change. Like I said, we had 230 plus members in the House, 40, whatever it was when we were in the majority, and 36 were pro-life. But they helped us get to the majority. And so, you know, I I think we've got to be accepting and... It, it it looks judgmental to people, you know. It looks like you know we know better. And again, I say this is a pro-choice member that that we've got to be open, and we can't eliminate a large swath of of the country um, because they want to be with us on these other issues. You know, yeah. you want health care for everybody. Well, you need some of these members in there. But amen to that. Amen to that. Nancy has said it. Uh, Chuck Schumer in the last couple of days. Elizabeth Warren well, has look, said Joe it. Joe Manchin, and- Joe Donnelly in Indiana. That's a Senate seat. Joe yeah. Manchin. Bob Casey. Bob Casey in, in Pennsylvania. I mean, these are key states. I don't know where Claire McCaskill is necessarily in, in Missouri. I'm trying to think of some other southern states. But do you want to just see those Senate seats? Do you want them to have 55 votes, 56 votes? 57 votes. I mean, that, then it gets really scary of yeah. what can happen. So what do you tell Tom Perez when Tom Perez says, uh, if you're not a, if you're not pro-choice, you don't belong in the Democratic Party? I just think that's a mistake. I would say, Tom, you, you, you can't do that because you're, you're basically writing off the, the Midwest and the South in so many of these rural districts that, you know, you need or, or you know, Catholic districts. We had we, we had nine, nine in Ohio. We're now 12, four in our congressional delegation. We had mm-hmm. nine, nine. And just off the top of my head, we probably had four or five pro-life Democrats in Ohio, Cincinnati, mm. down the Ohio River, um, you know, Canton. Yeah. You know, I mean, those were those were pro-life Democrats. And if we if we tell them they're not welcome, even though they agree with us on 80 percent of the issues, a lot of those guys lost their seat over health care. You know, mm. a lot of those guys voted for cap and trade energy bill. Very important stuff for the future of our planet. And they were willing to stick their neck out, and they lost. They were pro-life. You want them back voting for the next iteration of, uh, of addressing climate change? Do you want them back for the next generation of moving Medicare down to 50 or single-payer health care? Do you want them there for that? Or do you want you yeah. know, some uh, knuckle-dragger coming in? <laughs> 
who's who's you know wants to get rid of the government and you know sees black helicopters coming around to take over their lives. I mean, that's kind of the reality that we're dealing with here, and we, it's real politics. It know? is. It's the political reality, which some people I just think uh, are just out to, out to lunch on. I do want to ask you about one other uh, idea that we have heard that you've been proposing. Uh, and that is, um, you heard me mention earlier, this half hour is brought to you by uh, the American Federation of Government Employees. You want to move some of these agencies out of Washington? Yeah. I want, I want to do a commission, have a commission, study. Uh, we have about 300,000 federal employees uh, and figure out which, not, I'm not saying all of them, maybe 5%, maybe 10%. Uh, which agencies could you potentially move to other areas of the country that are distressed? You know, we have this huge problem, globalization. But aren't they already there in a sense? Like the VA is here, but there are VA hospitals all over the country, right? Yeah. Interior is here, but there are Interior Department employees all over. Well, Same yeah. with agriculture. Same with the Forest Service. I mean, yeah. the headquarters may be here, but there, there are people in these agencies in there every are, state. There are people there. Yeah. I'm just saying getting the get the how do you get the best bang for your spending? And if you put, say, for example, um, thirty thousand, say ten percent of federal jobs went to thirty different communities, a thousand jobs a pop. If you put a thousand jobs in downtown Youngstown, federal jobs, yeah. it would transform the community. So if so, you could do that for fifteen or twenty or thirty communities, Flint, yeah. Michigan, Gary, Indiana, Youngstown, Ohio transformational. All right, Mr. Shortstop, I know you, uh, <laughs> you've got more important things uh, on your agenda this morning here, and we just ran out of time, but it's so good to see you, Congressman. Thanks, for, Thanks for all your good work. Appreciate As it. always, Thanks, Bill. This is the Get Bill em. Press Show. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Show. Well, you thought maybe that the Russian connection had disappeared, didn't you? Uh-uh, no way. Even though we haven't heard about it for a couple of weeks, thanks to the cruise missile attack on Syria and all the saber rattling about North Korea, it never really went away. And now it is back with a vengeance with all the latest news about Michael Flynn. Yep, in a highly unusual move, both the Republican chair, Jason Chaffetz, and the ranking Democrat, Elijah Cummings of the House uh, Oversight Committee, held a joint news conference yesterday to reveal their conclusion that former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn actually broke the law when he refused to divulge a big fee that he was paid for by the Kremlin for a speech in Moscow. If charged and convicted, Michael Flynn could face up to five years in federal prison for that crime. The Trump White House, of course, was very, very quick to try to throw Michael Flynn under the bus, insisting that he was just a private citizen uh, when he went off and gave that speech in Moscow. No, 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 they can't get away with that. At the time, Michael Flynn was a top advisor to candidate Donald Trump, representing him all around the country and in Moscow on foreign affairs. And then clearly, of course, without vetting him, uh, Trump named him a uh, national security advisor, a post that he only held for 24 days, um, but was fired for lying about his contacts with the Russian ambassador. That hiring Michael Flynn was Trump's first big mistake. And as for Michael Flynn, 
the anybody dumb enough not to know that his phone calls to the Russian ambassador would have been monitored by the NSA? Anybody dumb enough to think he could get away with going to Moscow and giving a paid speech by the Kremlin uh, could get away without reporting it? Anybody that dumb should never have been named National Security Advisor in the first place. Yes, Michael Flynn is the first of Donald Trump's aides discovered in bed with Vladimir Putin, but he won't be the last one. This is The Bill Press Show.